Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. Hi, my name is Quentin Tarantino. And I feel trepidatious about being Conan O'Brien's friend. Why trepidatious? Why would you, who've created so much fear in other people's hearts and minds, <laughs> why would you be trepidatious at all about a simple guy like me and being my friend? Well, I could flatter you and say, because you're such a legend. <laughs> <laughs> but I shan't. <laughs> Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell. Shoes, walk and lose, climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Yes, I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Hey, and welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. This is a very uh, unique episode. We do this from time to time. We're gonna drop this one out of sequence. There's gonna be none of the usual banter or foolishness because this is a guest I've been wanting to interview in this format for a very long time. Uh, this gentleman and I have a lot to discuss. I'm a huge fan. We're gonna go down some crazy rabbit holes and I can't afford to lose any time. So let's get started. Uh, this is exciting. My guest today is an Academy Award-winning screenwriter and director whose films include Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill, Django Unchained, and Inglorious Bastards, just to name a few. His new book, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, based on his movie of the same name, is available now. I'm really honored uh, he's with us today. Can't wait to get started. Quentin Tarantino, welcome. You know, I, I have been uh, very excited to talk to you because as we were just mentioning off mic seconds ago when you walked in, crashed in really, kicked the door down. Uh, you weren't even scheduled to be on the podcast and you said, we're doing this now. We were we were talking about how uh, we both are a similar vintage. I think we were born the same year mm -hmm. and we both got our careers started around the exact same time. Yeah, you went on the air in 91, right? I think it was 93. 91, I'm at The Simpsons, but my my uh -huh. career was starting to heat up a little bit. And uh -huh. then 93 is when it really- that, so, That's when it actually premiered. Yes, okay, 93, 93, yeah. And yeah, okay, so then I had, uh, uh, as, as a matter of fact, yeah, I had just been on the scene since 92. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's this- Weird. Anybody who became famous around that time, right. I always feel this kinship with them that we all kind of came up in the uh, show business 
high in school the, together. In, in the trenches together, yeah, mm-hmm. around the same time. But the thing about with you, the thing about with you, it took me actually a little bit to see your show because I was actually just going around doing publicity all the time. But right. all my friends at Video Archives were wa- had, were watching it mm-hmm. and they were telling me about it. And they were telling me two things. Sisters of my old girlfriend and everything mm-hmm. were saying, one- He's kind of like you. <laughs> That's what they all said. He's kind of like you. He, I mean, it's almost kind of like if Quentin has a talk show uh-huh, because uh-huh. he likes a lot of the thing, same things you like and he's in the same kind of vein. And then they also told me, and he brings up Reservoir Dogs from time to time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's really funny because uh, we've been able to talk before, but it's six, seven minutes go to commercial music, come back six, seven minutes. We talk about your movie. Yeah. Uh, we show the clip and and, and you go. And- well, but not only that though, more than on the other talk shows, I, I, I'm not sure I pulled it off, but on your show particularly, uh, as opposed to all the other talk shows, I try to kind of come on as a comedian mm-hmm. and not like mm-hmm. some dorky director just like plugging his movie. I came up with bits. Yes, you I did. worked out stuff. You and, did, and I I I, I prefaced it to, for you a little bit beforehand so you could feed me the right kind of inline. Yeah, I, yep. you know, I treated it like the way a uh, a stand up guy would, yeah. would, would would deal with his couch time. But it was nice because I got to see first of all how much we have in common. And I say mm-hmm. this uh, with the uh, massive caveat that I would be a terrible film director. And, uh, <laughs> and, and Hollywood is blessed that I've never tried to direct a film. And and uh, You're not going to go the John uh, John Stewart route? No, 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 no. It's just no one wants to see <laughs> a film. film the Conan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one wants to see a film I direct because I would keep wandering in and looking at the camera uh, and winking and doing a bit and then going back behind the camera. So so no, that will You happen. say that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but one of the things that I has always struck me about your work that resonates with me so much, and I think one of the reasons I'm such a massive fan is that many people have explored your, uh, you know, how much you you have an encyclopedic knowledge of film and how much film has meant to you. What uh, what's always struck me is your knowledge and reverence for 1970s TV, yeah. because you and I came up at the same time, yeah. and the actors that you've used and the references that you make. Are born always, from a a, a a little boy watching seventies television. <laughs> yeah, and and I, you know, and 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 down to when I was a kid, uh, and they would show reruns because there wasn't as much TV yeah. as there is now. Mm-hmm. You know, now but we also, but you know, yeah, there's a ton of TV now, mm-hmm. but it means less mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's just all over the place, right? You know, but back right. when we were a kid, it's like you know. Uh, uh, Especially during the afternoon when all the syndicated shows yes. would be playing. Yeah. Yeah. But no, we had that and that was it. And we watched it. But you know, what the thing that stunned me is when I was with my brothers, my brothers and I, and my particularly my brother Neil, uh, who's a little who's older than me, we would sit and we would watch The Big Valley. Yeah, yeah. And it would be an episode with Bruce Dern. Yeah, yeah. Now we knew who Bruce Dern was because uh-huh. he was the baddest badass uh-huh. that ever came on the Big Valley. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he'd always oh, yeah. come, he'd always come on. It was the Barkley family who was this, you know, they were the good guys, but they were rich. And he'd always uh-huh. come on and go, You high and mighty Barkleys. Yeah. <laughs> with your high and mighty ways. And so we would like prairie scum. Yeah, prairie scum. He was prairie <laughs> scum. And then um I we revered Bruce Dern and we knew his name. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And we cared about Bruce Dern just from his appearances on the Big Valley. Mm-hmm. Flash forward to you using him mm-hmm. uh and the same thing the way that uh the way that you would take characters from the 70s or actors from the 70s 
that you clearly revered and you would help, you know, David Carradine yeah. and you would, you would use him and that show uh, meant so much to me, Kung Fu. Yeah, and then true. you found, you brought him back. You did the same thing over and over again. And I realized really so much more in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that yes, it's a movie about so many things, but really of all the movies you've done, it might be the one that's really going into television the yeah. most and your reverence for TV and some of these actors and the whole subculture and the mm -hmm. whole subgenre of mm -hmm. this world and these terrific actors. And you realize mm -hmm. that Burt Reynolds yeah. came out of television yeah. and uh, Clint Eastwood came out of television, 1960s TV shows. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen so much today. You know, it's such a, it's, it's, it's a completely different world. Well, yeah, it's, it's funny because um, I had this feeling at some point when I was writing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and that had almost felt even more so in the book because I was able to actually utilize all this right. stuff as opposed to a movie. Well, I, I'm making a movie. I got to tell a story at some point. Yeah. Um, but as I was uh, uh, writing the script, I was like, it's just as if I, I've spent my entire life filling my head with all this knowledge that I you know, started picking up around, around when I was a kid at the expense of everything else. Mm -hmm. When I was writing the script, I was like, oh, wow. This is almost like the script I was born to write. Like right at the point where I'm in my 50s where I'm start saying, did I waste my life putting all this stuff in my head? Right. Now that, which actually was a thing when people didn't have all this information at their fingertips yes. by going on a computer. And, you know, when you ask me a question, no, I'm answering it from my memory. I'm answering it from what I know. I'm not looking it up. Um, but the thing about it is in writing this, it was like, oh no, I am an expert on this. And so- Almost as if I've been filling my head just to write the script with this type of expert uh, uh, expert analysis that uh, a shark expert would have on sharks, right? If he's writing a book, right? So you, and, you know, what's interesting about a pilot expert would have on the how the how a plane's engine works, right? A seven forty seven, how yeah. it works, what the you know ratio of yeah. drag to lift mm -hmm. in. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Very good use of adjectives on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, made my point very yeah. well. Once, one uh, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, you know, there's a TV show within that called mm -hmm. uh, that that is Bounty Law. Yeah, and it's fascinating because you're using a lot of your knowledge mm -hmm. of '60s TV. Yeah, yeah. Because there was a show called Lancer. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. And you can you can see that you're using your sort of reverence and your knowledge of these shows. Well, yeah, see, that was an interesting thing of how I ended up using Lancer because I didn't start off, I, I didn't start off I was going to use Lancer. It was going to be, um, uh, Rick was doing an episode of, uh, it wouldn't exactly have worked because it, it was not the right time. Period. Rick is uh, Leo, Leo uh, Rick, DiCaprio's character. Yeah, yeah. Rick Dalton's character. Uh, Leo's character, Rick Dalton. It wouldn't have worked, so I would have had to change it to something else. But initially it was going to be, he was doing uh a Green Hornet episode. Right. And so it all kind of tied into what later became a flashback. Right. Uh, and then um, <laughs> one of the things I was the most happiest about writing is I actually watched a bunch of different Green Hornet episodes. And then I wrote this big meg megalomaniac, based on an episode, I wrote this big me megalomaniac uh, speech for Rick that you'd uh -huh. see him film. And the whole idea was he was, uh, he's the leader with a bunch of other millionaire guys that are ridding the, 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 the city of crime. Right. And so they're like knocking off all these, uh, uh, uh kingpins of right. crime. And now they've wiped out all these guys and uh, they, the, the hunting club or whatever they call themselves. 
And then he has this big speech. And he's like, we've read this town of all these people, but now we are after the number one criminal of this entire town. And we're going to bring him down when we bring down the Green Hornet. Right. And that will be the first time you realize that the, 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 this has been a Green Hornet monologue. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, but it wasn't the right timeline. But out of the, because it was like th- a few years earlier, if, if I wanted it to be in 69. But out of the blue, a woman Western fan expert writes Western novels. Uh, uh, got in touch with me, just sent me a letter and I, I got it I somehow. And, and she was like, look, you really are, you're really into Westerns and you've done two Westerns already. Yep. And you're talking about you, you'd like to do a third. Well, I'm a big fan of the show Lancer. Wow. Okay. And I think you should do Lancer as your third Western. And so she sent me, and she goes, and I happen to know the people, the guy who created the show Lancer, he's passed on, but I know his wife and he actually has underlying rights to the show that you could get if you wanted to. And here is, and she sent me like a, a crappy black and white copy of the pilot episode. Now, it was funny because it was like, huh, I remember that show, Lancer, but that was just one I never watched. I didn't watch it either, to be yeah, honest I knew with other, Yeah, I knew of James Stacy. I knew about him getting his arm and his leg James cut Stacey off. James Stacy was the star. He was the and, star. Uh, and, and he's kind of played in a way mm. indirectly or directly by Tim Oliphant. Yeah, yeah, you know, no, he's well, he's playing James Stacy. He's playing James Stacy. Yeah. And and what's really fascinating, just as a side note, because I have to get this in from my brother. Uh-huh. My brother Neil, uh, I'm friends with Tim. Uh-huh. I love him, oh, yeah, and uh-huh. he's one of my favorite people and okay. my favorite. I love him as an actor. I love him as a person. He and I are hanging out, and he was super excited because yeah, uh-huh. he had just got. He told me I'm not allowed to talk about it yet, but I uh-huh. think I'm going to be working with Quentin. Uh-huh. I said that's so. Crazy, and he said, "Yeah, all I know so far is it's something to do with this guy James Stacy." So we both get on the phone uh-huh. and we call my brother Neil, uh-huh. and we say, "Neil, tell us about James Stacy." And he has an encyclopedic oh, knowledge. Yeah. Of, uh, James Stacy started in Lancer. Now Lancer began because James Stacy had done a star turn in 1966 on this show, and it had done so well and rated so. Oh well my God, it's like right out of my book. All right, yes. like the entire. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, the whole chapter, the James Stacy chapter, could have been written by your brother. Yes, no, and my and my brother might even make a correction or two. My brother would say, and then he knew all about James Stacy and and Tim Oliphant was there. My brother's on speakerphone, uh-huh. and James and Tim Oliphant was like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> and I went, "This is my family. My brothers and I would watch this stuff. We both." Why aren't every- I doing the show with your brother? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have him call in. Uh, he but, sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, but but the only thing that would annoy you about my brother is that he loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but and you did everything just perfectly. But he'll probably find. But one. he'll 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 pick he'll, out the one thing. He yeah. will find that the, song was not on the radio in 1969. <laughs> yeah. uh, not in February 69. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he'll also say that that Buick. Yeah, yeah. Only came out in 70. Yeah. That Buick was not commercially available. Right. It had slightly different taillights, and you would throw your headset through the right. wall. Yeah. And my brother would say, like, oh, he seemed kind of upset. <laughs> Anyway, uh, well, I knew who James Stacy was because he, uh, a few years after Lancer, he got into a horrible motorcycle accident and mm-hmm. he lost his arm and his leg, and he was just kind of out of it for a long time. But then Kirk Douglas cast him in this movie he directed called Posse, where he played the newspaper uh, editor of the small town, and he's just on his little wooden crutch and. He's kind of awesome in that movie. Yeah. And then this is how I really, really know him. He did a big deal TV movie at the time uh, called Just a Little Inconvenience. Yep. That's him and uh, Lee Majors at the height of Lee Majors fame. Yep. And Barbara Hershey. And it was one of those things where Lee Majors had got the script and he goes, oh my God, this would be perfect for Jim. This is like an acting role for him. Well, 
it was like a big that TV movie ended up being a big deal. So he did the talk show circuit. Yeah, him and Lee Majors did the talk show circuit. I I, re, I especially remember the the Merv Griffin episode. He right, did. You right. know, it was you know, and then like he got nominated for an Emmy for uh, uh for just a little inconvenience. It's a good movie. It holds up. What I finally got like the so I I started getting the TV guides around the time of uh. When the movie takes place, so I know exactly. Oh, okay, so um, if it's at eight o'clock, and they're hanging out in February eighth. Okay, what was on TV at that time? Right, and then so I get the TV guide, and I actually look at Lancer, and I see where it airs. I think it aired on Friday. Well, no wonder I never watched it. Okay, because at the same time as Lancer on NBC, they were showing Star Trek. Yes, of course. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And what are you going to do? Yeah. And on, <laughs> at the same time on ABC, they were showing the Mod Squad. Well, right. there's no fucking way that Lancer's ever going to win <laughs> compared to Link Hayes and Captain Kirk. That might as well not even exist. <laughs> But, but the, so so anyway, she sends me this thing. So I watched I watched the pilot episode, and it's actually uh, um, written by um, spacing uh, 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 Dean Meisner, who's actually one of Don Siegel's big writers. He mm-hmm. did a big rewrite on uh, Dirty Harry. It was actually written by him. I go, wow, this is a really good show. This is a really really good premise. And it turned out that Samuel Peoples, who created the show, Fox owns the show, but he had the right to do. He kept the right to do a movie version of it if he wanted. Well, I was able to buy those rights from his oh, wife. Okay, okay. So, and we kind of made a movie version of Lancer. Well, you know, so uh, you know, I was able to actually own the show as far as that was concerned and own the characters. And I thought that would just be a neat thing. And then all of the whole, now all of a sudden, now Rick playing the bad guy on a Western after him being the hero, it all tied in. Well, also, I think what's what's cool is that these shows- when you and I are, you know, the same age, growing up in the seventies, mm-hmm. Alias Smith and Jones, oh. which I know is a big show of yours. Yeah, I remembered uh, that was a very cool show. Did I we love talk that show. about that before? No, I don't oh. think we have. Oh, and okay. then Pete Duell, really yeah. the co-star of it, uh, commits suicide, and the, suddenly the show uh, they tried to keep the show going without him. Mm-hmm. But I remember that being like a moment in my childhood. That I, this very charismatic actor had killed himself. I had this. Con- I had this exact same conversation with Brad Pitt, who's on our age too. Mm-hmm. He brought up Alias Smith and Jones, right? And then I said, "Yeah, as a matter of fact, I remember that very well because I remember he died." Yep. And then my dad said, "Oh, wow, Clinton, Pete Duell, and I. We watched that show every week." And I was like, "What? He died? How did he die?" Well, he committed suicide. Now I'm a little kid. I go, what's that? What's suicide? Right. Well, that means he killed himself. Wow. So the first time I ever hearing what suicide is, is because of Pete Duell. And it was and, someone you knew because, I mean, I had the same bond. Yeah. I had a bond with someone yeah. on TV they, and I didn't know people could die. And like, then he, and then he, I go, he killed himself. Well, why did he kill himself? And I go, I don't know. Crime. I guess he was depressed. And I'm like, He's Hannibal Hayes. What the hell does he have to be depressed about? <laughs> He's on TV. He's the coolest guy on television. <laughs> I know. But then Brad Pitt goes, yeah. Actually, the first time I ever – suicide was ever explained to me was because of Pete Duell's death. Right. When I was watching um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and I was seeing all these references, they were firing in my brain. I mean, mm-hmm. clearly there are the major references that we know, which are the the, the uh, Mansons and uh, – mm-hmm. Uh, you know Sharon Stone and those killings, Kate. 
Sharon Tate. I'm Sharon Stone. Yeah, I'm sorry. I made an attempt on Sharon Stone's life once. I apologize, and it failed. Thank the ki- God. The killing of Sharon Stone. Yeah. That sounds like a no. TV, I'm sorry. Sounds I'm like just, a TV movie. I, I I twice went after Sharon Stone. And, Linda Day uh, George and Richard Crenna and, and the killing of Sharon Stone. I'm glad that you guys corrected me. CBS Thursday night movie. I'm glad you guys corrected me because I would have gone on for ten right minutes after about the Waltons, the terrible, shocking murder of Sharon Stone, and people were like. What? What's Conan talking about? Uh, and Sharon Stone's hearing it crying. What happened to me? Um, but uh, but I think I, I, I there are so many things that you're that are firing. You're drawing on such a rich tapestry of stuff that I think other people have not drawn on. And to the point where in your book, and I, I want to stress, this is a you've done a very cool thing, which used to be pretty common, mm-hmm. which, and I think it's kind of, uh, it, it has gone away and you've resurrected it, which is it's a novelization yeah. of a movie. Mm-hmm. So a movie, it used to be a movie would come out and then if the movie was popular, they would quickly put out a novel that basically told you what was going on in the movie. Not even just waiting for it to be popular. It was actually, it was meant to sell the movie. Yeah, except, yeah. here's a book that we yeah. wrote very quickly. Right. Uh, in weeks. In weeks. So what you've done is you've written, and it's a really entertaining book. Uh, it's the it's a novel, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But I read it and I was like, I love this because you are really going into the, re- the weeds here mm-hmm. and going much deeper on the relationship between Rick's, uh, I mean, sorry, Leonardo DiCaprio's character and Brad Pitt's character, you're really yeah, yeah. going into the weeds on who they are, and you're ta- you're filling in lots of detail that I didn't know, mm-hmm. wouldn't have known from the movie. Well, yeah, yeah, because yeah, no. you don't have time. Yeah, in the movie, I've got a story to tell. I got to yeah. I got to keep moving. But one of the things about the book that was actually kind of fun was one, I get a chance to tell the story in a in a in a different way. But while it's on one hand, it 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 absolutely positively is a novelization of a movie. It also fits into that subgenre of books about Hollywood. Yeah. And there's a whole, that's a whole subgenre of literature, you know, uh, books about Hollywood. And again, that's where I was saying where, well, my expertise in this subject, oh, well, now I can just, now I have a place for it all. And I, and I, I worked out Rick's entire career. Yeah. Uh, even past what takes place in here. I know what, I, I know everything you did in the eighties. And I just had a lot of fun time of getting so specific about it and being so, uh, you know, Everything he he did, he could have done. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's nothing. I'm not winging it at all. You know, and uh, so then it was just fun. It, it was just fun to uh, describe Hollywood in that of uh, uh, that period, that little period of Hollywood, describing it in as much detail as I was able to do, which is what you want in a novel about Hollywood. Yeah, and it's also whatever era. I mean, you do capture it in the film, and you go into greater detail here. But and and maybe the business really hasn't changed. But you realize, I think one of the ways it has changed in the late. 69, mm-hmm. you know, Rick's character's panicked. And you yeah. see it in the movie, it's all changing so fast. So mm-hmm. he came out to Hollywood to be a star, yeah. like one of the people he grew up watching, you know, in the 1930s and 40s or yeah. whatever in, yeah. in, in Westerns. And yeah, he gets a big part and he's on Bounty Law. And mm-hmm. this is great. Yeah, he's big. But- a uh, couple of seasons on Bounty Law, mm-hmm. and then it's what have you done for me lately? Yeah, and well, you're he, knocking around. He you're looking ha- for bit parts. He has the flashy movie career, except it just doesn't really go anywhere, right? You know, they don't take him a hundred percent seriously, so they just kind of stick him in 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 uh, their they're studio films, but they're more routine Westerns. And usually it's like, as he describes in the book, uh, you can cuss on this, right? What's that? I can cuss on this, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Of okay. course, this is uh, just uh, mostly a children listening, <laughs> but very, uh, very cynical children who've heard it all. Well, his whole thing is like his problem with his the, his movie career was always, you know, new guy with old fuck. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. him and Dale Robertson, him and George Montgomery, yeah, him and Ralph Meeker, you know, and um, you know, and, and so they just don't take off, and that kind of uh, uh, it runs his course, and now he's back doing television but now he's usually the heavy because that's normally the guest star parts and i remember when i was uh you know and that's just a trajectory for the actors that didn't quite make it i mean there was a there was a time in the late 50s george maharis was one of the hot because route 66 he was one of the yep. hottest actors out there and people really thought he was going to have a big time movie career and and he had the opportunities he did about four or five movies but by 1970 he's Guesting on Cades County, he's guesting on. Uh, uh, you know, he was he's a big name guest star, but you know, he's the bad guy on all these different on all these different shows. And I remember even when I was a kid watching that phenomenon because I was a huge William Shatner fan. Yeah, uh, and not just from Star Trek, but you know, always absolutely from Star Trek. But all his Twilight his Zone, Twilight Zone, his Twilight amazing. Zone episodes. I mean, yeah. I totally knew who William Shatner was. Right, and it broke my heart. To see him play the bad guys on other people's TV shows because he always got the shit kicked out of him. Right. <laughs> he right. was always getting beat up. Yeah. And and you're like, this is Captain Kirk. When it was, yeah. Back off. I know. It you was, can't do that. And it's literally people hitting him with trash cans yeah, in an alley. I, oh, I remember because I was a fan of that uh, Bill Bixby show, The Magician. Of course. Yeah. It was really cool. Sure. And the William Shatter episode, he gets his ass kicked from the beginning of the episode to the fucking end. <laughs> And no, it, but it's literally, it, you literally see the pecking order. It gave the, my heart problems, all right? Yeah. No, you see, um, but it's so- At the end of his Petrocelli episode, all right? He's going to get punched <laughs> in the mouth by Barry Newman. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Cannon's going to beat him up. I know, everyone. Uh, God, all those Quinn Martin shows. Yeah. He got beat up on every Quinn yeah. Martin show. But I got to say, though, after living through all that William Shatner time, that's the way it was. And you know, but also he had all those really cool TV movies. And stuff. Yeah. The, the Pray for the Wildcats. That's a great one. Did you ever see that one? I don't one? think I saw that one, no. Oh, that's the one where it's 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 Andy Griffith, uh, William Shatner, Robert Reed, and Marshall Gortner, and Angie Dickinson. They're all uh, uh, the guys who aren't. Andy Griffith are uh, advertising executives, uh -huh. and they're trying to sell this new advertising campaign to Andy Griffith, who is, runs this company. But he's a megalomaniac, crazy. I mean, he—it's <laughs> like the along with a, a face in the crowd. Yeah. It's, his, it's, it's his other crazy, malevolent performance, right? And so he goes, "Well, I'll tell you what. I don't really do business with nobody. I don't really know that well. Well, I'm going on a dirt bike riding trip through Arizona. Why don't you boys join me?" <laughs> And so, okay, these Madison Avenue guys uh, get their little motocross shirts and rent their bikes. And then he leads them on a trip to hell. <laughs> <laughs> that he's the captain. Yeah, and it's great. Yeah, it's Kurtz going up river, right. but it's Andy Griffith. It's, yeah. uh, and, and finally, and, and, and William Shatner, the wimpiest of the whole group, now has to go up against him <laughs> in a mano a mano dirt bike. Please tell me he gets his ass kicked. <laughs> 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 so no, where else can you go surfing and skiing the same day huh i don't know or check out a world-class art museum and then camp at a dark sky sanctuary that night huh yeah yeah where else can you hike through redwoods and then get a luxury spa treatment where well you live there california <laughs> california sona 
No matter where California. you go across the state, you'll find a way to play. I'm a California resident. So are you. Sona, you are a lifelong California resident. I'm a lifer. I love this place. This is a beautiful state. Gorgeous. So many different, wonderful ecosystems in one state. You can hang out by a Palm Springs pool. You know, you can go whale watching. You can go hiking in Yosemite. And then uh, talk about the great cities in California. You get all this amazing food, sushi, whatever you want. They got it in California. Hey, if you can't find it in California, man, you got a problem. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. I made that up on my own. Anyway, I love California. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. Today's episode is brought to you by Cap'n Crunch. This has meaning for me, okay? Because I grew up as a child obsessed. My brothers and I were obsessed with sugar cereals. We loved Cap'n Crunch. And then when they came out with Cap'n Crunch and Crunch Berries, oh. I just, it was like Oppenheimer. <laughs> I saw a white light and I knew that life had changed forever. And true story, I was just back in Boston visiting my brother, Neil. And not kidding, he is two years older than me. We are grown-ass adults. What do we do? We sit down at our kitchen table in Brookline, Mass., and we both crack open a box of Captain Crunch with Crunch oh Berries. My God. And we had it together, multiple bowls. And I was so happy. Oh, it's nice that you have that. It really is. Break away from the ordinary with Captain Crunch and bring back the spirit of adventure to your mornings. Everyday life can be stressful, but I've got to tell you, it's just such a sense memory for me. Not just original Captain Crunch, which is great. Then, oops, all berries yeah, they came up with. I remember that. Usually I don't eat foods that have oops in the title. <laughs> But when they came up with Oops All Berries, I was there. Peanut butter. Oh, my God. Peanut butter crunch is fantastic. It turns the milk into this cool peanut butter milk. I love it. Join the crew for your next breakfast time crunch venture. That's a word now. Buy Captain Crunch's new cinnamon crunch now at a retailer near you and learn more at CaptainCrunch.com. Neil, we made it! <laughs> way in today, Sona, I was thinking about just how much has changed over the years. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, we were all dancing the jitterbug and the Watusi. Okay. And then you grow up now and there's mosh pits and everything's gone <laughs> cuckoo. There's this new thing called rap. I don't know what's <laughs> happening anymore. But guess what? In a world full of change, there's one thing that hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. The great taste of Miller Lite. Are you with me on oh, this? Oh, yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah, and you know, another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. Yeah. I hate a filling beer. Yeah. When I have a filling beer, I just want to sit down in a beanbag chair for six days, but not oh. with Miller Lite. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? Mm -hmm. Back in 1975, the big debate in America was what's more important, that it it's less filling Miller Lite or it tastes great. Yeah. The cool thing is when we all realized it's both. Okay. It's less filling and it tastes great. Yeah, right. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Miller Lite keeps it simple. 
undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and it's less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Conan. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Yeah. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. There were so many great actors from that era, and and you you've utilized so many of them. But there must have been some that are on on your wish list, but they passed away. Like a Victor Buono, you know, who yeah, yeah, played yeah. King Tut, <laughs> right, uh, and yeah. who was an amazing Fantastic actor. actor yeah. And were he alive today, he was actually much younger than you think. He'd, yeah, you know, he'd be in his seventies or eighties. I and- actually, I actually have a comedy album that Victor Buono did. It's really good. Oh, he was hilarious. Yeah, I, was I, hilarious. I didn't even know that there was a guy that he had a comedy album. I found it. I always go to a used record store. I go to the right to the comedy section. I go, yeah. Victor Bono, wow. It took me six years to listen to it. And when I finally did, I go, oh, well, this is really funny. You know what? Also, everyone had a comedy album. Yeah, yeah. And, and people you don't like think should have had a comedy album <laughs> had a comedy album. There's so many actors. I just- Or you missed if, if you missed if them. I had, yeah, even if I had, even if I had been who I was six years earlier- I could have utilized Aldo Ray. I could have yes. utilized David Cassidy when he still had his David Cassidy thing going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the same thing about, um, you know, obviously you were fortunate to get so many people, but I think the same thing about my talk show career, the people I just missed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, oh my God, if it had been just a few years earlier, mm-hmm. I could have talked to- Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, Fred Astaire or something, right, but yeah. I, I missed it. It, mm-hmm. it. it didn't happen. Because he was murdered. <laughs> By Sharon Stone. <laughs> yeah. Which is why I then tried to Why it's called Sharon the Sharon Stone, Stone murderer, because she's the murderer. <laughs> on this topic, on this topic, uh, Burt Reynolds was going to get, was going to yeah. play the part that Bruce Stern got. Yeah, uh, George Spahn, yeah. George Spahn, who uh, is the owner, proprietor of Spahn Ranch, and passed away. Yeah. Before he could do it, Burt Reynolds, another guy who I mentioned, was a TV star who then um, made it as a huge movie star. Um, You got to do one of the last, you got, he was, he was reading for the part or not reading for it. He was, he was playing the part in, in the script reading. In the script reading and passed away. Like weeks, weeks weeks later. later. I have a story. So you got his last performance. I interviewed him and he was quite unwell. But he came on the show, came out and he sat down and he did the interview and he was terrific. The next day I got a bottle of wine sent to me and it said, mm-hmm. I hope this is the beginning of a long friendship, Bert. Oh. Mm. I think weeks later he was gone. Oh, wow. Murdered. Wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> by a combination. <laughs> Who is it now? We have a long list of murderers. Sheriff Stone <laughs> Vince, Vince Edwards. <laughs> no, but I mean, it was really sweet and just- I teared up at the time because I thought yeah. you talk about these people that well, they're constantly leaving us. But one of the, I mean, but one of the, th- I mean, one of the things that I, I think we always vibed with each other that was funny was along with being geeks about all this other stuff on yeah. television, we were also, which is strange for male boys, we were talk show geeks. Yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah. I spent my whole childhood watching talk shows. Yeah. And I, I I would get home around three thirty uh, from school. That's when it let out. And around four o'clock would be uh, 
you had your choice between Dinah, Di- the Dinah Shore show, yep. or the Mike Douglas show. Right. And then you had Merv Griffin on at 8.30 at night on syndication. Right. And uh, and you kind of just go home and say, oh, who's on mm-hmm. what show? All right. And, oh, Ben Vereen's on Dinah. I love him when Ben Vereen's on Dinah. But the thing about it, though, is we watched all these guests and we, and we had our favorites. And to me, the two superstar guests of all guests that took over the show whenever they were on was Burt Reynolds yep. and Robert Blake. Yes. Either time, any one of those same two guys. Thing, same thing were, on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Yeah, uh-huh. they would. You could tell Johnny loved it when they came on. Yeah, and they would come on and they would just take over. And and, and they were fantastic. And to but Burt Reynolds to such a degree. I mean, Robert Blake had his own thing going on. Yeah, but um, Burt Reynolds, the way there is the way there's acting in movies before Brando, mm-hmm. and there's acting in movies after Brando. Yep, there are actors on talk shows before Burt Reynolds. And then there's actors on talk shows after Burt Reynolds. He created the whole kind of self-depreciating, yep. non-public relations, non-publicity uh, kind of talk yep. that people did on talk shows. He wasn't just there to uh, plug anything. Well, he really often... make fun of his old movies. Right, though, right. right. <laughs> but but he was so charismatic, Burt Reynolds. Yeah. And uh, he- Like, what leather suit is he going to wear tonight? <laughs> exactly. And he had that great laugh. Yeah. And... But the, the thing is- I met him the first time. I I didn't really get to know him, know him until I talked to him about the movie and cast him in the film. But I bumped into him like a couple of times. And it was always like we wanted to get this friendship started. And finally, we had a, an excuse. But earlier on, the first time I bumped into him, he had his son, who was also named Quentin. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to introduce me to him. And so I, I did. It was at a party or it was at a premiere or something. And, th- and then just before he splits, he leans into me and he goes, I love watching you on talk shows. <laughs> That's amazing. To That's hear <laughs> Reynolds yes, say, I Bert love Reynolds. watch. Okay, okay. However, okay. I took it as this massive compliment. Yep. Only years later did I start dissecting it a little bit because he didn't just say, I love you on talk shows. That was it. He added a little thing at the end of it. I love you on talk shows. Dot, dot, dot. You just don't give a fuck, do you? (laughs) (laughs) I took the compliment as given for years. Sure. Then years later, I was like, you just don't give a fuck. I'm too me. That's what he's saying. I'm too me on the talk shows. I was supposed to be cooler. I'm supposed to have a more of a persona. I I was too me. That's what he means by I don't give a fuck. No, but I don't, I still think it's a compliment. (laughs) He he meant it as a compliment. You know, and I think. But I realize I've been doing it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, clearly your career has gone nowhere. Um, Yeah, I wanted to find out about Burt Reynolds. And I also know that Burt Reynolds kind of suggested a line that ended up yeah, in yeah, that's true. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which was that? Okay, well, you know, Burt Reynolds is definitely somebody who knows who stuntmen are and knows all the stuntmen out there. Right. And so when we have like our first initial talk, he goes, okay, so let me get this straight. Brad Pitt's playing the stuntman? <laughs> There's no stuntman that look as good as Brad Pitt. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I think if you're going to have him play the stuntman, that like somebody should say, hey, you're pretty good looking for a stuntman. <laughs> right. Someone should comment on Somebody's it. Somebody needs to comment on it because it's something that would be commented on. <laughs> yeah. So, and then you have, is it Bruce Lee who says? Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. Bruce Lee. Yeah. Has- you're, pretty, yeah you're, you're kind of pretty for a stuntman. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that because I know also that Brad Pitt probably doesn't love anyone doesn't, talking about his good looks. He, but because Bru- because Bert uh, uh, suggested it, he- 
kind of had no choice. <laughs> That's amazing. My observation about, and I'm sure it's not an original one, but Brad Pitt, um, he's the best looking, amazing character actor you'll ever see. Yeah. Because he's a tremendous actor. Mm. Do you well, know? that's all. Well, that's the that's all cliche about him now. Is oh, he's a he's a character actor trapped in a leading man's yeah, yeah, body. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, he always has been. Yeah, you absolutely. know, I think he's always been able to access that. Well, it was actually kind of interesting because you know he's another one in our little club. We all came out around the same time. Right, um, Brad Pitt. And I was asking him. Uh, I go. Um, I go. Hey, do you watch your movies? Uh, you know, years later and everything. Mm-hmm. Nah, not really. Oh, come on. You don't really. I don't buy that. No, not really. Like, oh, wait a minute. Okay, so even if you're going through the cable guide and you're going through the Showtime one, two, three, and HBO one, two, three, or four, right. and you see one of your movies on there, you don't just hit it to just you know, check it out. Check yeah. it out for a little bit. And he goes, "Okay, I, I do it on a couple of them. Um, I do it on a uh, uh, Snatch. I do it on uh, uh, the Coen Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. I do it on your film. I do it on the funny ones." <laughs> <laughs> He likes the funny ones. He likes the funny ones. He doesn't want to get bummed out. He doesn't want to get bummed out. He wants to see the funny ones. Yeah. He doesn't want to be with Morgan Freeman, uh, you know, opening a box to see if there's a head no, but, in but it. No, but, consider, but, considers, but he considers Fight Club one of the funny ones. Uh, well, it is. It is. Actually, actually yeah. it is very funny. Um, you know, but, I, yeah, but we'll go back to Burr Reynolds a little yeah, yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, um, So we had this wonderful conversation uh, on the phone. And um, I sent him the script. And when I sent him the script, one, I wanted him to play the part. But also, he was like the first guy who actually got like the whole script because this is his era. I wanted him to read it and I, I wanted him to be impressed by how well I did it. And uh, and he was. And so we talked about stuff. And look, I just grew up listening to Burt Reynolds tell Burt Reynolds stories. Right. So when I'm talking to Burt Reynolds, I'm telling Burt Reynolds stories. And then we even had our rehearsal period. At, we did our rehearsal. And so he... <laughs> We spent the rehearsal, Burt Reynolds telling Burt Reynolds stories, and then me telling Burt Reynolds stories. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all stories I heard either he gave in a written interview or just on The Tonight Show. As a matter of fact, if you read the book, the uh, that whole section in the book where um, it talks about how Rick and, and Cliff got together yep. and how Rick caught fire. Yes. And, and he realizes that he's, and, and he thinks he's going to, he's going to do it. He's going to panic. He's going to run. He's going to do the worst thing he can do. Just run. Just run when you're on fire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then Cliff just says- Rick, calm down. You're standing in a puddle of water. Just Light fall down. down. Fall down. Yeah. That's a Burt Reynolds story. That happened to him on in the movie Fuzz. Oh, wow. If, if you remember the movie Fuzz, did you remember see that one? I saw it, but I don't remember. Yeah. In it, there's these kids, one of them, Charlie Martin Smith, that they're setting bums on fire. You know, they're going and finding a bum and they're throwing whiskey on him and then like setting him on fire. Jesus. And so Burt Reynolds is like, is playing a bum. Uh, he's a cop uh, who's doing a stakeout as a bum. And then they come and they they set him on fire. And it, apparently it went bad. And he just really went up. And then he said like, oh my God, I'm starting to panic. And then he just heard this guy, said the stuntman's name. It wasn't Hal Neiman, it was somebody else. He goes, you're okay. You're standing by a puddle of water. Just fall down. Just fall down. <laughs> and he did. And, That's well, great though that you have so much at your fingertips because of years and years and years of loving yeah. this stuff and hearing it and mm-hmm. being that it's in there and then you get to use it. Act, yeah. You know, you can, but uh, I, you, you can uh, but let, let access me t- it. Let me tell you my favorite Burt Reynolds story because this is the one that really just shows how sharp the dude was because um, one of my favorite directors is this old Western director named William Whitney and he mm-hmm. directed a bunch of the Roy Rogers movies and stuff. And uh, um, and he worked into the 70s. He directed uh, Jim Brown in um, uh, I Escape from Devil's Island. 
but he also did a whole lot of television stuff. And he directed a couple of episodes, only a couple, only a couple of um, Burt Reynolds' TV show, um, Riverboat. Mm-hmm. with Darren McGavin. And I've watched those episodes and Bert doesn't have much to do in those episodes, but he's in them. And But anytime I meet somebody who ever worked with William Whitney, I always make a point to ask him about him. And like, you know, some people in the know know who he is, but a lot of people don't. So we're at the script reading where all the cast is there and we're sitting around a table acting. It was one of the greatest moments of my life, that script reading. It was a fantastic. And so we get to the middle of it and we stop and have a break and I go over to where Bert is because, yeah, once Bert sits down, he's going to be sitting down there for a while. Right, right. And so I lean down. I go, hey, look, I got a question I've been wanting to ask you. I've been asking him about everybody. And I go, it's a, a, a deals with the show Riverboat. He goes, oh, boy. Okay. What do you got? So, no, put this, I got to put this in perspective. I'm asking him about a director he only worked with in the 50s, only a few times who directed episodic television on a show he didn't like. Yeah. And then you're asking someone who's had a career that blew up and he became yeah. the biggest star in the world. Yeah, he's worked with everybody. So I am positive nobody since the 50s has brought up William Whitney to him. Right, right. And so I go, um, you worked on Riverboat with a director named William Whitney that I'm a big fan of. Do you remember him? Of course I do. Oh, of course you do. Yeah. Oh, well, that's great. Well, you know, personally, I think he's one of the most underrated action directors in the history of Hollywood. You're right. He is. Let me tell you about what working with William Whitney was like. William Whitney worked under the assumption that there was no scene ever written that could not be improved by the addition of a fistfight. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd be doing a scene with him. And you're saying exposition. And he was like, cut, 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 cut. You guys are putting me to sleep. <laughs> okay, here's what I want, Bert. He says that and that makes you mad. <laughs> so you punch him. Yes. And now he's punched you, so now you're mad at him and you punch him. Now we got a scene going on, okay? <laughs> Action. <laughs> so literally people are just like at the reading of a will or a very dry scene and people start punching each other. For Bert Reynolds to... Tell that great a story, yep. that perfectly worded, that kind of comic intention into it, not planned in any way, shape, or form he about a guy yeah, he yeah. has not worked with in 50 years. It's just right there. It's yeah. right there. Yeah. That, that's lost. Yeah. That is just lost. That's gone. Well, I think too, and I've talked about this, I think that there's two kinds of uh, actors that are actors that think- I can't be funny on a talk show because almost in the Brando Dean tradition, I need to mumble. I need to sort of seem uncomfortable because that's what's cool. I yeah, can yeah, never be caught yeah. smiling. And I always think- I can't be part of the machine. Yeah. I got to be against, I got to be, I got to be a rebel to the machine. Yeah, to the machine. <laughs> this is and the I, machine. And I always thought, <laughs> take a page from, look at all these amazing British actors. Mm-hmm. I had to, I got to have Richard Harris on once before he passed yeah. away. He's Richard Harris. He's one of the most iconic actors of well, all time. I, okay. and, he's, and he loved just being hilarious. Well, if, if, if to use my Conan knowledge on you, I actually think you've all, you've said that in that first season, yeah. the episode that you thought really kicked in. Yeah. And this was like, hey, if we can make the show close to this every week, we've got something, was the first time Michael Caine. Yeah. In the first season. Oh, no. Michael Caine came on. Like, and he, I remember- He killed it. He killed it. Killed it. And then, and, and you know, he's he's- 
you realize, wait, this guy hung out with the Beatles and was making yeah. them laugh. Yeah. And now he's sitting here talking to me. And I remembered in the commercial break, he was telling me which island in the Caribbean I really should vacation at <laughs> to a guy who had never gone to the Caribbean on a vacation. <laughs> and then he was saying, and you know, I don't do a Michael Caine impression, which is tragic, but he was saying, and you merely must try this a special sun cream you could use that I have found quite helpful. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Michael Caine is telling me which island to go to and which, like I'm in the club. Yeah, of course, right, I quickly yeah. forgot it. And I was probably quickly kicked out of the club. But, okay. well, I like the idea that he's like, okay, you might have a problem yes. there. However, oh, I am, I can solve the problem. I am quite worried. <laughs> quite worried, old boy, about <laughs> your lack of melanin. Uh, you know, one of the things to, to sort of Google Earth out for a second and look at the bigger picture that I, I think – I I love your films, and one of the things I think you do almost better uh, better than anybody is you take opposites, you put people together that almost shouldn't be together, uh, and it's explosive. You take this compound and that compound, and you put them in the same room with each other, <laughs> and you think, oh my God, you put and 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 I, I think about like in Inglorious Bastards, you take uh, Christoph Waltz, mm -hmm. who by the way. What an achievement, <laughs> yeah. I thought, that yeah. you that you cast him as Hans Landa because I here's a Nazi who's in the beginning of the movie, he's hunting Jews and he's called the Jew hunter. So he is the worst person that you can possibly imagine. <laughs> yeah. And then you fucking trick me mm -hmm. into finding him charismatic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I think. No, I'm like every sense is I have to keep reminding myself, no, he is the bad guy. He's yeah, yeah. a terrible guy, mm -hmm. but he's also so f goddamn charismatic. And I mm -hmm. think very few people, when you have your Nazi, they're just supposed to be, this is black and white yeah, here. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. the Nazi. And I think that was ingenious. But then to put him, you know, I've got to put him in the same room with the person who's going to hate him more than anybody which is Brad Pitt's character. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put those two together. Right, yeah, uh -huh. And I'm going to put them, I'm going to take these two, this this matter and this antimatter, yeah. and I'm going to shove them together and then realize that, hey, they have something in common. They're both kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Nazi and the Nazi hater, right. the guy who's sworn to right, kill yeah, Nazis yeah. and the guy who's, and, and um, I think you do that in Reservoir Dogs, you take Michael Madsen and you have him do the most horrible thing <laughs> yeah. in the world, which is torture a policeman horribly, <laughs> but you make me kind of think he's a cool guy. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Which I, it's, <laughs> and, and so all my neurons are misfiring because mm -hmm. I, it doesn't compute. Well, you know, one of the things that's actually um, interesting in the case of uh, Hans Landa is it's just one of those things where it's a movie. You're watching a movie. You want yeah. the movie to be entertaining. Yeah. You want the movie to be good. After both myself and Christoph have done a pretty good job of, of uh, illustrating that Blonde is a great detective. You know, like right up there with Sherlock Holmes kind of yes, guy. Yes, okay. fantastic. Yeah. He's a great detective. Uh, the audience buys that he's smart. They they buy all that. Basically, not because the audience is rooting for Londa to win, but the audience wants Londa to figure out what the bastards are doing right. at the premiere. Because it's going to be a more exciting movie if he does. Right. And it'll be really disappointing. We, we expect him to figure it out because we've just showed you that he's a genius. So we want him to be a genius because it's going to make a more exciting movie. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, I'm not, you know, 
I'm not worried about any of the implications. You know, when I watch Taxi Driver, I'm not worried about any of the implications about Travis Bickle taking a gun and going out and 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 shooting up that horror hotel. Right. I, even if he did start it, I'm on his side. Right. 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 <laughs> well, I'm, there's like the the. Uh, uh, there's the pimps that are trafficking a 12 year old girl, and there's Travis. Of course, I'm rooting for Travis. Right. Uh, be- also, but because it's a movie, <laughs> I right. wanted to have a really exciting ending at the end. I've watched it this far. I wanted to. Ex- I want. I wanted to explode. I thought the same thing about the Hateful Eight, where you're taking all of these people and trapping them in a cabin together. Mm-hmm. Talk about shoving all the hot coals into yeah. one. Well, see, uh, but that goes back to almost our TV talk a little bit because one of the things uh, you you bringing up the Big Valley, one of the things that was because uh, I got into a whole big thing of watching a lot of these uh, um, Western TV TV shows. I watched them when I was a kid, but I started watching them as I was writing this stuff more. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, and I also, you know, I'm I'm also going to the episodes that have good guest stars. You know, so Robert Culp's on it. I'm going to watch it. Right. right. Gonna, Darren McGavin's on it. I'm going to watch it. Those are right. Heavyweight guest stars. They usually have the best role on the on the show. But if you watch these guys who are the guest stars, whether it's you know Charles, Charles Bronson or uh, uh, James Coburn, whoever Vic Morrow, whoever it is, usually it's a situation where they show up at the Barkley Ranch or the Ponderosa Ranch or the Shiloh Ranch or wherever it is, and they make friends, sort of, you know, with Heath, or they make friends with Trampas, or they make right. friends with Little Joe, and. There's something about the, the there's something you don't know about these guys. There's something there's a there's a secret. Yes. They're there for a specific reason that's not revealed to us. Now maybe somebody's after them, maybe they're after somebody, maybe uh, uh, uh they're planning some sort of robbery that they're they they've they've got some agenda that that the lead of the show doesn't know and we don't know. But we have to watch the whole episode to find out who th- these guys are kind of sketchy though, but we kind of like them. But we have to watch the whole show to find out whether or not they're a good guy or not. And if they are a good guy, then usually Trampas and Little Joe and and uh, Heath helps them, or if not, they end up killing them right, <laughs> at right. the end. So I thought, wow, those are interesting characters. What if I did a whole movie with nothing but those guys? Yeah. Those guys who are guesting on The Virginian, those guys who are guesting on Lancer, those, those, guys, those dubious guys that we don't know anything about. But there's no Heath, there's no uh, uh, Little Joe, there's no The Virginian. And I like that fact that his name yeah. was only The Virginian. All right. Uh, <laughs> I'm the Bostonian. Not Lance the Virginian. No, just the Virginian. Um, no, what you did was you said, let's have Lucky Charms, but only the marshmallows. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Which I've done, by the way. It takes about an hour, but it's, man, it is better than any drug you'll ever have. You put some milk on that. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must-listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. 
saving money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards. We have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. A lot of people take a lot of time bringing these elements together. You are so economical and also kind of impatient in a great way. Mm -hmm. No, this, we have to get these people together. We have to put these people that are diametrically opposed in close contact with each other. Um, I don't know how you feel about it because I love the movie No Country for Old Men. Mm -hmm. But at the end, when Javier Bardem's uh, fantastic serial killer and um, Tommy Lee Jones Uh miss each other. Oh, yeah, yeah. I... I think a day doesn't go by when I when I'm not enraged, and I love the Cohen brothers. Yeah, but I wanted my money back. Yeah, yeah I was yeah, like, yeah. no, you've got. And I thought Quentin Tarantino wouldn't do that to me. Yes, if you ever get the right to me make remake right, yeah. the last ten minutes of that movie, I wouldn't do that. And then give Tommy Lee Jones a monologue that's apropos of nothing, <laughs> <laughs> and then say the end. <laughs> Here it is, the Quentin Tarantino ending to the Coen Brothers' No Country for Old Men. A 10-minute really cool speech about Slim Jims. <laughs> yeah, I just love, and I mean, look, Django Unchained is another amazing example of you saying, let's take uh, uh, the coolest, you know, black gunslinger mm. and put him in the antebellum South yeah, where right. there's slavery. <laughs> and for a technicality, he's allowed to kill a bunch of people. Right, exactly. And he's allowed to take a whip away from a slave driver and whip- Whip the shit out of him. Whip the shit out of him to really fucking great music. Yeah, yeah, right. And I think, yeah, that's the idea. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. fantastic. So um, I'm just encouraging you to continue making movies. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I really like the book. Yeah, but, right. But come on, yeah. you know. We, uh, you, know, you can do that every once in a while. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know, I'm curious if you have said, I read a quote of yours, which is you don't, it's very important to you that your last movie, whatever that is, be a really good movie. Well, and obviously I want it to be a really no, good no, movie. No, no, I know but... everybody does. You, everybody does, but you're very conscious. Well, no, it's not, it's not. I'm, uh, it's not a Max Opus, oh, I got to do Lola Montez, and if it's not the greatest movie I ever made, then my entire career is worthless. No, I, uh, I'm, I'm not coming from that point of view, like, right. oh, I've got to make the ultimate movie as the last movie. I kind of think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the ultimate Quentin movie. Yep. I, um, so I'm, I don't know what the last movie is going to be, but I, I'm imagining it'll probably be a little bit more epilogue mm-hmm. than like, you know, the dynamic <laughs> – Right, final chapter. I think this is the dynamic final chapter. You think Once, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the final? Is, is yeah, and this is the epilogue. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's a movie I could be in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, you don't need the the best people in it right. if it's going to be a different tone. <laughs> well, it's, it's, no, it, it's not so much a different, but it's it's not. Oh, now I've got to make the end all movie. Right. 
I just want to be in it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, in the background as a waiter, for Christ's sake. No, I'm sake. actually, what, what I'm actually thinking would be really good is like if they're watching television and we come up with a show <laughs> for you to do on television. <laughs> so you're a character. Trust me. Trust me. Yeah, I'll do what it, yeah, I'll do anything. But and, I, also, I also really like the idea of something where it's like, uh, um, I don't think I've, I haven't a hundred percent ever done it before, but like where um, it takes place in the Quentin universe and, and then there's a, a character on TV that's popular and you, you see the characters watch them, watch them a little bit. But when they go driving around, that person is like all over billboards. <laughs> and, you know, there's like Conan mania is yeah. going on because this show has just become big. You, you, you're, yeah. You, yeah. you're as big as David Carradine in the first season of Kung Fu yes. or, yeah. and Don Johnson, the first season of Miami, Miami Vice. Vice. Yes. You've got your record album coming out. Yes. It's all not, a, com not a comedy album. No. no. And I have uh, my own line lines. Of leisure wear. <laughs> yes. I have my own line of clothing that's coming out and all the men are trying to dress yeah. like Conan. Uh, they're all trying to dress like you. Um, um, I, I'm uh, just a bit of a personal question, but I know you have a very young uh, son now. Do you ever yeah. think, how old is he? Is he about two years old? Yeah, he's almost two, yeah. What, do you ever think about when it's the appropriate time for him to watch, check out your oeuvre, your your body of work? Yeah, uh, I think actually the appropriate time is whenever he wants to. Right. You know, right. whenever he really, really, you know, like, hey, daddy, let me see this. Let me see this. He, right. He'll hear about it for a little bit. But when he's actually, I want to see this, I would imagine probably Kill Bill will probably be the, probably be the first one he watches. Yeah. I mean, just, he's a little boy. If I was- Seven years old, Kill Bill is the one I'd want to see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Kill Bill, I think, could be first. Yeah. I don't think he's going to, at seven, he's going to be getting into the pop culture monologues about <laughs> 70s, <laughs> 60s minutia, but the bride finding uh, uh, 88 guys with a samurai sword, with a, shooting uh, fountains of blood right, from a cut off arm, that he'll, he'll appreciate. The, <laughs> there was also, I mean, it was hard not to see some of, man, the, the, the scenes in Kill Bill with blood shooting out mm -hmm. of, I mean, th it was fantastic, but it also had a hint of the Monty Python. It's yeah. its hard not to see some of the comedic angle of yeah, it yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Of, yeah. uh, of people who- <laughs> Who well, are firing blood everywhere uh, and screaming? It, it it can take you a little bit back to yeah, Monty well, Python, I, the Holy Grail. Well, I, like I, I obviously I do like that sequence a lot in in that movie, but I was kind of jumping off more from uh, the pop Japanese samurai movies, yes. like Shogun Assassin, or yep. you know the Zatoichi films, or were just. And then all of a sudden, people have garden hoses for veins, you right. know, and they just <laughs> like a fire hydrant. <laughs> everyone suffers from hypertension. It just everyone has incredibly high blood pressure. I mean, the first time I, the first time I, uh, you know, before I saw the original Japanese versions, the first time I saw any of the uh, 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 Lone Wolf and Cub movies was that Shogun Assassin version, which is a really good version. I thought it was just thrilling. Yeah. The way the blood just like shut out like the Bellagio fountain. Yeah. I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> but also the thing about it that was actually really cool was, well, you're not going to get this confused with real life. This takes place in this yes. hyper, hyper-realized, hyper-violent, hyper-comic-booky kind of world. Yeah. And, and then you see that. Right. Then you kind of take yourself off the hook. Yes. For how you're supposed to react. Well, no, first of all, there's no, there's no restaurant like that. <laughs> and no one has immediate- uh, no one can just flip a switch and have 88 assassins at their disposal. So yeah. in a way, you've put yourself in a different realm where it's all cool. It's yeah, all yeah, fine. Yeah. yeah, it's all aesthetics. <laughs> yeah. And I and uh, uh, I, I wanted to, last thing I wanted to mention was Westerns, mm -hmm. which is, I know that uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, your 
dipping a lot into the Western genre and, and you did it uh, with Hateful Eight and clearly Westerns are a big part of your life. I know that you believe or I've read that you believe that Westerns are this ultimate reflection kind of of what's happening in that decade. But it ends up it ends up being that case, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Meaning a, a Western of the 50s will represent it, well, it, what people think in the Eisenhower time. Yes, exactly. No, yeah. The, they they end up being a mirror to whatever is going on in that decade, those 10 years. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you have a favorite Western. Mm. I think mine personally might be The Unforgiven. That's uh, a good one. Because uh, it's a movie where every single character is trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And- Nobody's doing the right thing, and that's a really well said on that. Yeah, even little Bill thinks no. he's little Bill is a sadist yeah. and has his you know, but little Bill is trying to keep the peace. Yeah, he he thinks and, he's just being a good sheriff, right? And everybody misinterprets and misunderstands what's happening. And that movie really spoke to me because I thought that is so true of the world we're in. Mm-hmm. People don't say even without getting too political. People on Fox News or MSNBC, mm-hmm. people don't say, I'm going to go be evil now. Yeah, yeah. Everybody in their own way thinks they're doing the thing that's going to save the day mm-hmm. and we're all careening off a cliff. Yeah, no. And it, actually, it's their righteous indignation about it that's so that's so sad yeah. uh, because there's there's never a chance to listen to the other guy. Yeah. Because you're demonizing the other guy. Right. And, and in uh, in The Unforgiven, if Clint Eastwood and everyone else and Gene Hackman and Morgan Freeman, if everyone got in a room for a, a minute and mm-hmm. talked, yeah, yeah, <laughs> they'd right, go, yeah. oh, wait a minute. Okay. No. Oh, so that was a minute. Right. Okay. Let's go. Let's yeah, get yeah, out of yeah, here. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but one of the highlights of my life is I never got to interview uh, Clint Eastwood. I don't know him. I've obviously- idolize him as an actor and his work. Um, I got to, I ran into him once Mm -hmm. and I told him, I said, I I hate to bug you. I just ran into him and I was introduced to him and I said, I, I just got to tell you that, uh, how much I love that movie, The Unforgiven. And he was just nodding and being Clint Eastwood and very cool, nice, but very not saying much. And then I said, and, and I made my point that everyone's trying to do the right right thing. And Uh he was nodding like, yep, kid, I think you got it. That's Mm -hmm. right (laughs) for you. Here's a cookie. And then, um, I said, and I love the line at the end where Kill Bill's lying on the floor. I mean, Kill Bill, where <laughs> I'm doing everything. I love the part at the end where Gene Hackman's lying on the floor and he realizes that he's going to die. Mm-hmm. And he says, I don't deserve this. Clint Eastwood looks at him and says, and just then Clint Eastwood cut me off and said the line, oh. it's got nothing to do with deserve. Oh. And I tingle. I'm still tingling even thinking about it. Yeah. And I like bowed and then like backed away <laughs> because I thought it's never going to get better than this. Yeah, no, you just, you, you hold, hold on hold to that. Hold on to that. And, 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 and Pressure I went, sealed. Yeah. I went to a doctor immediately and he said, all your life signs show that you are now 30 years younger biologically. I have a, a situation sort of, sort of like that. Um, that was a wild thing where I set it all up and the actor ended up saying the line. I mm-hmm. couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. The great wild man uh, character actor, Timothy Carey, mm-hmm. kind of came in uh, for Reservoir Dogs. And I was just so excited. Oh, my God. Timothy Carey's outside. And he shows up with his son, Romeo. And they, they sit down and he's talking about the script and he really likes it. And uh, uh, I go, well, you know, there's that scene of you – in a, a passive glory when you're in this jail cell and the next morning they're going to take you guys out and shoot them. And Joe Jerkel does that whole bit. He goes, see, tomorrow, 
That cockroach, that cockroach will have more to do with my wife and child than I will have. And I said the whole thing and I'm just doing it just exactly like Joe Turkel. And then he's sitting right next to my desk and Timothy Carey, boom, slaps the imaginary cockroach. He goes, now you got the edge. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to masturbate. I mean, it was just- I just did. I just did. I'm very, I'm very fast. I'm a very fast masturbator. No, but I have to say, uh, you know, to to try and sum this up, which is impossible, because I swear to God, I could talk to you for 35 hours uh, and just enjoy every second of it. But I do think, yes, you have gobs and gobs and gobs and gobs of uh, innate talent and ability in this area. But what I think- one of your greatest strengths is enthusiasm. Yeah. I know that you, and it just comes out of you, mm-hmm. you are very, very enthusiastic <laughs> yes. about what you do. Yeah. It means a lot to you. And I think one thing we have in common is there's lots of stars in the world, but God damn it, the ones I get most excited about are the ones that I saw on TV when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. And we're losing them every day. Yeah. But the moments that still to, the, to this day changed my life is when Andy Griffith mm-hmm. came on my show yeah, yeah. and knew my name. Oh, yeah. And, uh, it, yeah. and I'm thinking, no, I sat in a high chair eating bologna strips right, yeah. in 1968 <laughs> watching you. Uh, I was in a high chair for a long time. <laughs> I was in a high chair until I was 35. But yeah. I sat in a high chair and watched watching you went, Mayberry RFD. Wait a minute. Yeah. You, were, <laughs> you were 11. <laughs> I, I had polio. Look, you're missing the point, Mr. Griffith. But, uh, but those are the ones that I can see that you just yeah. lose your mind yeah. if you heard, uh, you know, Don Knotts is still alive and he's downstairs getting an ice cream. That would blow no. your mind more than, you know, no, ab- as absolutely. much as you love Leo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, that would mean, you know. Don Knotts is Don Knotts. Yes. <laughs> the incredible Mr. Limpet. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I am encouraging everyone listening. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, obviously the movie was and is a, a, a true delight. Now, have you read the thing that we added to the- uh, Well, here's uh, what like I the, love. The, 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 the screenplay for a Bounty Law episode. Yes, here's what I love. Cause you're, this is you. This is the essence of, I call you QT behind your back. Uh, <laughs> but but the essence of Quentin Tarantino is, so you write this very good novel, novelization of, and, and it's, and again, this is not, this is not, a replication of what happens in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of a deeper dive in some ways, and and and. Uh, but I then mean, it's, tell the story in a. It's the same story, but I tell it in a vaguely different way. A very different way, yeah. And then, um, then you get to the end, and you have written, I believe, yeah. a script for a TV episode of Bounty Law, mm-hmm. and you've written that it was, uh, it's that, and you have a very realistic. Front page of the script mm-hmm. with a coffee s- with a coffee ring on with it. a coffee ring on it, and it says it's written by Robert Fuzz. <laughs> yes, don't know who the fuck that is, and it says revised final draft uh, July sixth, nineteen fifty nine, and then it's a very good Bounty Law episode. You get episode. a se- you get a sense of the show. Yeah, a, episode of Bounty Law, and then you have all of this. Like the Bounty Law lunchbox Box. and the, the Bounty comic Law, books, the comic, the TV Law. guides, uh, yes, which exactly, are, yeah. and then you have the Mad Magazine yes. parody of Bounty Law, which is fantastic uh, okay, and spot uh, on. Okay, this is the perfect last story for uh, uh, for this episode that you will appreciate. Okay, go back again to the cover of the the Mad Magazine there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. Okay, so the idea was okay. He's gonna uh, when it comes to Rick's uh, apartment. Yeah. His apartment, his house. He's going to have like, you know, uh, some of his posters will be up yeah, on yeah, frames yeah. And, and like the TV guides that he's on, he'll have sure. those framed. But also 
was the idea that uh, Mad would have done a a, a spoof of, of Bounty Law, yep. and so he would have had the cover of that. And so we went to uh, the Mad Magazine people, mm-hmm. and we said, uh, "Look, what we want to do is we want to have the uh, like a real Mad Magazine cover that you guys draw, and we want to draw as if we want to draw as if Jack Davis was doing the drawing." Of right, it. right. And and I had the whole idea in my mind that it would be Alfred E. Newman on the wanted poster with his finger up his nose. Yep. And uh, and Rick kind of doing a double take when he sees him. Yep. And uh, so I described to them exactly what I wanted for the poster, and they go, "Okay." And so they have their Jack Davis guy, and he went it, and 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 he drew it. And then when it was done, it looked so terrific, it's perfect. And then we came back to us, and then um, we said, "Hey, look, guys, um, I don't know if you want to do this or not, but if you want to do it, uh, we can show you all the footage we shot for Bounty Law. And if you wanted to do it." A, a spoof in the magazine of of Bounty Law, Lousy Law. I'm the one that came yep. up with the Lousy Law title. Yep. You know, we would be into that. Well, they thought that was kind of a good idea too. So they came down into the editing room and we showed them all the Bounty Law footage we had. And then they wrote their little spoof and then they came out with it. Um, uh, and then, and so they used that, t- that cover as their real cover. Yep. And then they had the, the spoof in the magazine. It turned out that that was the last original episode, uh, last original issue of Mad Magazine ever published. Oh, you're kidding. They Jeez. still publish Mad Magazine, but it's all re- it's reprints it's, Yes, I've, I've actually seen that because I've run across them yeah. and I wanted my son to know because Mad Magazine was such a big deal to yeah, me. Yeah. And I used to actually always go to the movie spoofs. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I would read those so, and often- Some often really I, good crit- movie criticism. Yeah, spoofs, really good yeah. movie criticism. And also often I read those without seeing the movie. Yeah, I, I, that happened a bunch of times. <laughs> I'm like, I don't need to see this movie. Okay, but you're, you're not getting the most important part of this story, Conan. Sorry. I designed and formatted the cover of the last original Mad Magazine issue. I want to put a little twist on your summation. Uh huh. You killed Mad Magazine. <laughs> what about that? <laughs> After I, all the other carnage you've yeah. unleashed. I didn't just say, oh, <laughs> it could be something like this or that. I described it to the T yeah. and they did it. It's beautiful. Take that, Judd Apatow. <laughs> <laughs> so my question is, are you going to make Bounty Law. You've got the script. You probably yeah. would. You make some now. Uh, I might. I might. I might. I might. Uh, uh, I might do it. I might do it as a. If I did it, it would be like a fifties half hour yeah, western yeah, show. Yeah, <laughs> and true to itself. Absolutely yeah. true to itself. Exactly. Well, I've got about five episodes written, so I could do that. I don't know when I'm going to do it, but I could do it. All right. Well, just make sure you keep. God damn it! Keep making stuff because uh, <laughs> you will not uh, listen. Uh, thrilled. Absolutely thrilled that you could do this. Oh, and that it's my I, pleasure. Man. And you know what? I have to say, uh, I've known you, uh, you know, whatever, 28 years, <laughs> uh, I, you know, off and on, and yeah, we yeah. passed each other, and and you've done the show, and you've always been lovely to me, and I've watched everything you've done countless times, but my dream was to sit and have a real conversation with you yeah. where people like Warren Oates would come up. Yeah, know, yeah, right. And, exactly, uh, yeah. Or whatever, you know, Burt Mustin or who, you yeah. know, <laughs> <laughs> Pete Duell, uh, Bruce Stern and talk about this stuff. It mm-hmm. just meant the world to me. So no, it's my pleasure. Thank man. you so no, much. Actually, no, it is actually funny. I've many times that I've done the show, but you know, to give you some credit on that though, when we did the show, 
we would slip in 30, 40 seconds to a minute of this kind of geeky talk. Yes. It always ended up happening. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, It was a tight schedule, but there was usually 40 (laughs) minutes or to a minute of back and forth about minutia. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, thank God. We now have uh, way way too much of it now, but um, check out this book, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because it's really special. And I can't wait. Whatever... I swear to God, if you were making manufacturing asbestos, I'd go out and get some. Oh, so. Thank you. Very much. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that. Because <laughs> yeah, okay, apparently yeah, right. it's very bad on the lungs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino, God bless and go on and do good works. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Conan O'Brien needs a friend. With Conan O'Brien, Sonam Obsessian, and Matt Gorley. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Joanna Solitaroff, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Take it away, Jimmy. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. Engineering by Will Beckton. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review read on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must-listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. <laughs> 